black thing go from left to right, and I thought, I'm going to die out here. No one's ever going to know. I couldn't believe what my eyeballs were showing me. I'll never forget how evil the eyes were. It was horrible. I mean, I've never seen nothing that evil. It ran towards me at a, at a rate that I, I I can't even explain. Turned and stared at me, and this look of I just want to kill you. I want to say it was human, but it wasn't. He was, he was he was yelling at me to grab a gun, grab a gun. I was like, for what? He said, just grab a gun. And there's footprints all the way to the door of my house. It had went inside my garage all the way to the door. 911, what are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better... Sir? Zia! Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh Uh-oh. You're listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. Check us out online at sasquatchchronicles.com. If you've had an encounter, email me. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Got a great show planned for you. It's interesting, man. We had a major storm come through uh, last night and snow and then freezing rain on top of it. Now, it may not sound like much where you're at, but um, (laughs) out here in the Pacific Northwest, when it snows, you're pretty much on your own. Uh, We don't prepare for much. Uh, Thank God I have four-wheel drive, but, uh, you know, to be honest with you, four-wheel drive doesn't help when there's freezing rain, Uh, but it looks like it's starting to melt away. Thank God I I, got to get out. (laughs) I'm going nuts. Uh, But I really appreciate you guys being here. I got a great show planned for you. Going to be bringing Chris Allen on the show. And Chris Allen is actually a country music artist, but he started out in life. He actually had a Sasquatch encounter when he was really young and he was watching it up in a tree. And it wasn't just Chris that saw it. His whole family had seen this uh, monkey up in a tree. And Chris does a great job at, at describing it. Chris lives out in West Virginia now and owns a farm. He's had several encounters, and he's been looking into this for many, many years. Uh, And so he'll be coming on and and sharing some of his different encounters and kind of what he looks for. I'll also be inviting David to the show. And David is a part of the Independent Sasquatch Research Team. It's based out in Florida. And you guys remember the show I did? I think it was episode 249 uh, where the witness... Uh, I think the title of the show was It Had a Look Like I'm Going to Kill You. I think I even have the witness in the intro uh, talking about it giving him a look of I just want to kill you. Well, David had contacted me and asked if if he could gather more information to actually go out and take a look of where this encounter took place. Now, I never give out witnesses uh, information, but as I was talking to Steve and I'd asked him, I said, you know, are you interested in having an investigator go out to the site and take a look? And And he was. And so I I contacted David. He went out and took a look. He'll be sharing what he found out there. And David also brought some sounds uh, that I'm going to play tonight on the show, and he's going to be talking about those sounds. Should be a great show tonight. I want to thank you guys again for being here. Remember, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. If you get a chance to, check out the store. It's at the very top of the website. I think it's under shop. 
lot of different merchandise in there. If you're looking for something for yourself or for a family member, some really cool merchandise in there. Hope you get a chance to check it out. Again, at SasquatchChronicles.com. Let's jump into it tonight. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, no problem. Thanks, Wes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. If you would, for the audience, would you kind of start from the beginning? I was really interested in the encounter you were telling me about earlier when you were a child, seeing one of these creatures up in a tree, uh, and, and talk about what, what you guys were out doing, and if you would, just kind of walk the audience into your encounter. Well, I'm from Texas. I lived in a small town called New Braunfels in Kamau County, and every year we'd go back and forth to the Shillian area, which is in the Charleston area of West Virginia, where my father's family lived at. And it was a long trip, so we'd always stop through, take a break usually in the middle point, which would be Nashville, and then uh, going into West Virginia. And on one of our vacations, we all started gathering around the backyard to see what everybody was that had noticed in one of the trees in the backyard. And it was a big old sycamore tree with a branch sticking out right on the edge of the forest, but still in the yard. The branch went over into the backyard. Uh, so we had a very, very clear sighting of what we were looking at. Uh, there was a large monkey that we thought it was a monkey. He was uh, the color of a, a, a Labrador, a golden retriever, if you call it, um, just like a champagne blonde color. His face was conca- a Caucasian color, like just, uh, it's just like a very pale white skin color, like me. <laughs> uh, he was sitting there grooming his arm and watching us, and we were watching him, and it, act- it looked, it appeared... To not be scared of anyone out there. And back when I was a child, we didn't have cell phones with cameras and things, unfortunately. And we did have a camera, but it was up on the, well, this is like a, five, a four or five story house uh, inside of our suitcase. Time we would have got it and all the trouble. So we just stood there watching it instead of making a big effort to record it. Uh, it was a different world back then. <laughs> yeah, it was. We didn't know anything about a Bigfoot or what a Bigfoot was. We just assumed that it was some kind of a funny-looking monkey that escaped from someone's zoo. But it was very odd being there in the yard in a tree like that. And there was probably 15, maybe 20 of us all together watching this. Uh, It almost was at the edge of dark. I mean, it was probably 45 minutes to an hour before it got dark. So we stood there for a very long period of time and just watched it as it observed us. It got dark. When daylight came, it was no longer to be seen again. And Chris, when you saw it, you you describe it as being a, a whitish color. Well, its hair was like a champagne blonde. Uh, go, uh, what do you call those kind of dogs? A golden, re- a oh, golden, golden lab. Retriever. Yeah, about the color of a golden lab. Years later, many years later, I've seen a on the news an albino gorilla, and it was exactly like the albino gorilla. Same hair, same face, everything. Just that it wasn't so bulky. It was. You know, you could see it looked like it was younger and skinnier. Yeah, that's amazing. And how far away from, from from you guys was the creature? I know it was up in a tree, but what kind of a distance were you guys looking at this thing? Well, the tree was the the tree was probably anywhere around 70, 75 feet tall. He was sitting on a branch that was going out in the yard. That was like the perfect view. Um, it wasn't really that large of a yard, so, I mean, it wasn't very far away from us at all. Uh, maybe 125 feet away. Do you remember what the conversation was like between everyone? I would imagine everyone was amazed. Yeah, everybody was standing up here just uh, talking about it. Even my father and my mother were talking about He said, suggested to go call the news, and they were in Charleston. This was in Shillian, West Virginia, 
which is the home of the basketball star Jerry West. Um, it ended up that they were, the comment reply was, well, time they got here, it'd already be dark. And so it was like, oh, yeah, true. So we just kept watching it, wonder what it is. It must be some kind of zoo where it escaped. Uh, everybody was just more or less thinking it was a monkey. That's really amazing, especially since the creature's behavior, how it just kind of stood there cleaning itself and just kind of watching you guys and you guys watching it. It didn't really leave. It didn't really... And, and you know from researching this and investigating this for a long time, the juveniles seem to be a lot less sketchy. Uh, they seem to be more ballsy in situations like that. Yeah, I mean, it just sat there. It was, I, it was either grooming its arm, as I've seen baboons and other you know, uh, monkeys do, or else he, was, uh, he could have had a hurt arm and was grooming his, you know, rubbing his hurt arm. I mean, you couldn't really tell exactly what he was doing with his arm, but he was just doing something to his arm like he was rubbing it a lot. Um, God, I'd love to be hypnotized sometimes and and just have everybody hear the exact experience, word for word, what was going on. Did you guys ever see the creature again, or was that the only time it made an appearance on that property? On that property, it was the only time. And, of course, back then, none of, nobody around us was trained to – we didn't even know what a Bigfoot was. This was uh, before the Patterson-Gimlet video with Patty. Um, it was probably actually about the same time of that. Nobody went out to look for tracks, didn't even think of looking for tracks. However, we did find large cat tracks in the area, and, and I was awakened one morning after hearing a lady screaming. That's when I realized that I didn't know at the time that it wasn't a lady screaming. It was a large panther, mountain lion, cougar, whatever you want to call it, same cat. They scream like a lady, and sometimes they make baby crying sounds. Yeah, they do put off odd sounds. How many years later did you? was your next encounter? My next encounter was when I was about 21. I was walking with a girl on a date, and we were hiking at a place called Canal State Forest up Dunlap Hollow. And I looked up, and I seen one, which was nothing like the first one at all. This was much larger, much stockier. I mean, it at least had to be 800 pounds. And it was sitting with its back to the tree, and its back was towards me. And it, like, was just sitting there all curious, and just it heard some noise or something, and it leaned around the tree like, you know, just, you know, you pass me the, a sandwich or something. Like, it wasn't, you know, like it it's just like an everyday thing or something. We looked eye to eye. I looked directly at its eyes. It looked directly at me. And, I mean, I'm just, like, stunned of what I'm seeing. There was really not much of a neck. It was just like a head stuck on the shoulders. And it was very massive and meaty at the joining point. Like, it was just, if it was a neck, it was very thick neck. And it was looking right at me. It had, like, a barrel-like chest, really, really thick chest. I turned to get the girl that was with me, and I pointed right at the tree where it was sitting, facing, you know, its, its back was facing towards us, leaning around looking at us, and it was gone. It wasn't at the tree anymore. I don't know if it set straight up, what it did, but we're only talking. How long does it take for you to lean over to the girl standing on the side of you, hiking on a trail, to look over at this tree? And it was gone. I mean, a, a second or so, and it was gone. And I wasn't about to walk over to the tree and see if it was behind the tree playing peekaboo. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I was scared to death at what I had saw. I, it didn't dawn on me anything to do with the first one when I was a child. It had no connection until years after that sighting when I had my third encounter. My third encounter was the greatest encounter I'd ever had to this date. I've had many other encounters, but my third encounter 
was the one that actually put the fear of God in me. I mean, it literally put the fear of God in me. I've had rocks thrown at me. I've had logs thrown at me. That scared me, but it didn't put the fear of God in me. The third encounter, I was with my oldest son, who was the son of the girl for my second encounter. We had we later got married and we had a child. Me and that child, as he was a young teenager, we were hiking on a trail in Greenbrier, West Virginia, called at Sherwood Lake. And we're hiking on this trail, and we heard sounded like it was a deer wrestling its antlers into some shrubs or you know, little trees or something. And it was at the edge of dark, but it was a very bright night, very full moonlit night, uh, lightning bugs everywhere, beautiful. And we're at the edge of a meadow where there's like a little a volleyball court. There's a little swamp right over the edge of that where there's some dead trees. They're dead now. Back then, I guess they were alive. But I don't know that question, but I do know that we watched two of these ripping bark off of a tree. They were taking their arms and their hands and just ripping long chunks of bark off the trees, and they would just brush it down their face like if you're licking a corn on the cob, the butter off the corn on the cob or something. They were doing the same thing, and then they'd expel the bark to the ground, rip off more bark, run it down their face, throw the bark to the ground. They kept doing this. Um, then the two just systematically stepped into the edge of the woods. And once you stepped in the shadow of the trees, it was completely dark, and they were black. You couldn't see them at all. I mean, they completely vanished in the darkness of the woods. This larger one stepped out. This was the largest of the three. It was like a smaller and a medium and a large. And the largest one was every bit of 11 foot tall. I mean, this thing was massive compared to the other two. The smallest of the other two was probably six, seven foot tall. I mean, it was like it may be a family, a pot of three. When it stepped out, now, mind you this, I'm at perfect health. I have no health issues whatsoever. I I don't have any phobias. I don't get scared of things. I don't mind hiking around a lake at nighttime. And it was in the 40s this night, upper 40s, uh, light jacket weather. Whatever this was that I was viewing scared me so bad I could not control how my body was perspiring. That's odd and it's disgusting to talk about, I'm sure. But, I mean, I was like, I was soaking my shirt. I was so scared. I've never have been experienced of being so scared that it makes you perspire. That's crazy. I mean, but it does. I mean, I was actually sweating profusely. I was so scared, as cold as it was. I told my son, we have to run back to the safety of the, the car and the camper now. And we gave it everything we had. We ran as fast as we could, which is a good quarter of a mile back to the camper. Um, I, my mom and dad were there, and I told them what we had encountered. And my dad just had the hardest time on earth believing my story. It's like, you must have seen bears. And it's like, no, you don't understand. These, If you had circus bears standing on each other's shoulders three tall, it wasn't as big as what we saw. And we've seen a lot of bear in our lifetime. We're in bear country. This was no bear. These were no bears whatsoever. There's no doubt these were no bears. And their body, if you want to see what they look like, the exact what they look like, there is a video out there on YouTube. If you go to Manitoba Bigfoot, and you'll see a Bigfoot crossing a highway in the snow, that's exactly what these look like, exactly. Same conehead, very large arms. The largest one could probably, with its body height and the length of its arms, stretch up towards 18 feet at a hand reach. I mean, think about it, 18 feet. That sounds crazy. That even sounds crazy to believe. 
At that moment in life and time, after I got back and gathered my thoughts, and some weeks later, you know, my son actually got beat up in school telling other kids what he saw. Um, That's too bad. I he told me. Be- he told me before. It's like, Dad, I will never tell anybody ever again what I saw ever, and to this day, he still doesn't. Yeah, that's too bad. I hate to hear that. When when the creature stepped out from the wood line, was it facing you guys? And and did it vocalize? Yeah, did it yeah. do anything towards you, or did it just step out and show itself? It didn't seem to notice us. Now we were being very quiet while we we're on this trail. In fact, I was actually mimicking a, a, um, a butterfly or a, a lightning bugs. I had my hand cupped over my flashlight, and I'd spread my fingers and close my fingers and spread my fingers and close my fingers just so I could stay on the path because we were in the edge of the woods, and we were walking out to an opening, which was a, they use this opening. There's even a volleyball net out in this small opening area. People fly frisbees, stuff during the daytime. And just on the other side of this open area, it goes back into the deep forest, which takes you around to the dam at the place called Sherwood Lake. I've had most of my sighting in that area around the dam at Sherwood Lake. That's not the only encounter I've had in that area. I've camped two different times in two blizzards at this lake, documented every bit of it, have lots of photos of it as well. Uh, we're talking way below zero wind chill factors. Um, my ex-wife was a, a naturalist. She was a photographer and a naturalist at, at one of the local forests. She loved going out doing odd things, just as I did. Uh, we love adventure. She talked me into camping into a blizzard. That was pretty stupid on my behalf of what I did, but it was an experience. <laughs> I I swore up and down I would never do it again until the next time, and I did do it again. And after that, I swore up and down I'll never do it again until the next time. <laughs> <laughs> like most th- like most things in life, huh? You know, you think you'd learn after one time, <laughs> but in doing it again. And and the things that I had encountered camping at this place in a blizzard twice and encountering the exact same thing, different hunt, and I was the one probably being hunted. Um, it was an experience. We found a deer that was freshly killed up there. This is skipping to the point, which I'll back up in time in a moment, but I want to tell you about this deer that we've seen. Uh, we were camping in this blizzard. This was the second blizzard we camped in up there, and we're in a tent. Uh, I had my dogs, which I still, my dog is still alive today. Very old now, but I still, my dog is still alive today that went with me. He's, uh, his mom was an AKC uh, beige Rottweiler. Never even heard of those until now. But regardless, uh, his dad was a shepherd mix, so he's a good-sized dog. Then I had two other dogs. The largest of the dog, he's not scared of anything. He's a very brave dog. He chases a bear out of my yard all the time. We're at this lake, and all of a sudden he jumps in my box. I have this large storage box that you keep your gear in. He used his nose, flipped up the lid, jumped in it, and the other two dogs followed behind him. One was a pit bull. The other was a skipper key. They were so scared of something. Now, there was no no noise or anything outside, and it wasn't like they were freezing to death, even though it was that cold. They were acting just very peculiar, very odd. And I've made the same statement on many radio shows in the past. You could take a filet mignon and throw it at those dogs in that box. They wouldn't even sniff it. They were that scared. I had never seen these dogs ever at that point ever act this odd. It was just really odd. Well, a few hours later, I found out why when they came to us. I'm asleep in the tent on a cot, 
and we had zero-degree sleeping bags that we had liners in and blankets wrapped around those sleeping bag blankets, and we were uh, laying in our clothes outside of our jacket, and I was awakened by having a hard time breathing because something was pressing down on my chest. I mean, it was like pressing hard on my chest through the wall of the tent. Uh, my ex-wife was awakened by this, and she looked at me as I'm like, you know, not figuring, not, no, I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm woken up with something massively large pushing on my chest. All I could think of doing is taking the palm of my hand and smacking it, as I did. And it felt like I smacked a brick or smacked a tree. It raised straight up, and you could see the shadow of it over top of our tent. That was the only encounter we actually visually seen on this trip, but that was very odd. <laughs> uh, as a, as the night went on, we listened to all the noises outside of our tent, and it was amazing just documenting and, and listening to what you're hearing. There was three beating sounds, like how a silverback gorilla would beat on its chest. There yeah. were beating sounds that were much louder, but then again, if you ever go to a zoo or someplace where you can encounter a silverback and they beat on their chest, it's very loud. If you were in the dead woods, quiet, and you heard something, this is just like hours after the blizzard subsiding. The, the, the wind has come drastically down. We still have large amounts of snow dumped all over the tent and everywhere around us. And you hear this beating sound. And it was across the lake towards the dam where I had the three, where I had the encounter of the three that I told you about. There was uh, two, one to the left and one to the right, as a triangle shape, and we were at the bottom area of a triangle. Um, and this beating, I realized what I'm hearing. Now, by now, I'm actually researching Bigfoot. I've already had some uh, expeditions I had gone on. I've studied. I've read everything I could find. Uh, this was before BRFO. This is before all that ever came out. I'm putting in my own compile of research and going places and, and trying to find out what this is and hoping I can get video of what I'm looking for or something to show to the world. It's just as anyone that's, especially when you're very new at searching for Bigfoot, you, know, you want to prove to the world that this thing exists. You're tired of the naysayers. Oh, that's just a bunch of crockable, really, because you sit on the couch and watch TV and you want to judge and you see fake videos, and that's what kills me. It makes it difficult for researchers when you have all these idiots out there wearing costumes, running through the woods, you know, making pranks, <laughs> you know. I'm a professional researcher, and, and I've always been a tracker. I loved hunting and tracking, and I combined the two together. And I've actually followed the tracks, and I've documented and videotaped many of their tracks and put my foot side by side of the tracks. Now, at the time, I didn't have my radio show. This was years later. I had my radio show, and years later, I've learned so much more. Uh, a lot of your listeners may not be aware of this, but I had a specialist on my show one time, and we're talking about casting, casting tracks. Um, there are several different type of methods of casting, and I was not aware of that. I thought just plaster Paris. There's many other ways. You could plaster Paris on, on dirt, and as it warms itself, it dries and makes the, the track of whatever it is you're looking for. Uh, well, they also make it that you could put it in the snow. They also make it that you could pour underwater, like a, if it was in a shallow uh, mud hole or something, and there's a track there, you wouldn't have to drain the water out. They make a, a molding process that you could put in the, the water, and it will go fill in the track, and it will harden. 
they make it for all different types of situations that I wasn't aware of back then. So there's that's a big interest that you can find in, on the Internet, looking under uh, different type of molds for castings. I wanted to ask you, and I wanted to go back to when you were in the tent. I have a quite remind me, I have a question about your second encounter. But when you were in the tent, was it sitting on you, or was it using its hands and pressing down on you? I honestly think it it had its face stuck in my chest. It was smelling me. Oh, I got gotcha. you. That's interesting. Like I, I can't prove that. I can't swear to that. Uh, call me crazy if you will. I'd call myself crazy if I was hearing somebody saying that. I don't know how to explain it. But not I mean, as, it was not like, as crazy as you would think. Was, I mean, that, that actually like, makes sense. I mean, to me, it felt like it had its face pushed to the wall of the tent and pushed on my chest cavity. It was pushing down probably 30 pounds of pressure, sniffing like it was smelling me. And it could hear my heartbeat and knew I was alive. And I startled it when I took the palm of my hand and smacked it right up where whatever area it was that I hit. I mean, who knows what? It could have uh, viciously just shredded me right then and there. I mean, it could have been a bear that could have shredded me right then and there. You know, some people think it couldn't have been a bear. It was snowing. It was wintertime. No, this is not true. In fact, a lot of Bigfoot researchers get fooled by tracking bear instead of tracking a Bigfoot because a bear has a very human-like foot, and when it steps with its hind foot into that, it looks like a full Bigfoot track with a mid-tarsal ridge, when often they're actually tracking a bear. Um, I did this, and I've showed this on video in the past, how easy it is to... But when you're in the snow, it makes it a lot more easier to tell if it's a bear or a Bigfoot. There are many ways, but a bear has claws, a Bigfoot does not. And that's the first thing that you'll see is the hair, the claws, and then the toe structures. It sounds like after you smacked it, the the creature obviously didn't leave. Did it back away from the tent, and then you started hearing what sounded like a gorilla banging on its chest? Exactly. When it did this to my to, when it did this to me, and I smacked it. It was like it stood straight up. I mean, it just the the shadow went towards where my ex wife was. The storm had already passed. Um, I don't know where the light could have came from that would have give you enough shadow to appear. There were no street lights or anything. Maybe it was, you know, pretty bright. Who knows? Starlit. Whatever reason. And snow on the ground, it's going to be bright outside. But you could see a shadow just raising up over the height of the tent. It backed away. We were not about to come out of that tent and see what was outside that tent. I mean, we're only talking cloth walls, but safety of the size that we were in. Um, yeah, I was very startled. And now I know why my dogs wouldn't move. My dogs were, like, petrified. They were inside of a plastic box that was a very heavy structured plastic box, and they would not move. And, and you got to understand, these are big dogs. The, the biggest dog is a Rottweiler-sized dog. Then you have a pit bull. And those type of dogs usually don't get scared too easily. They do. I watched my pit bull jump up and bite a bull on the nose. I mean, it bit this thousand-something-pound bull on the nose, and, the, and this bull just backed up and looked at the dog like, are you serious? <laughs> Here's a massive-sized bull, and this little tiny dog just jumped up and nailed it on the nose, and it did it again. And the bull backed up and was you know, scraping his paw on the ground, his hoof on the ground like I was going to crush my dog. <laughs> so, no, this, the dogs were very fearless. If a dog would jump up and bite you know, a giant bull on the nose, but yet cower down to something outside my tent, I've never witnessed this before. This is the first encounter that I've ever encountered my dogs acting like this. What did you guys end up doing? Did you end up leaving the next day? 
Yeah, we had to leave the next day. Uh, there's several reasons why we had to leave the next day. Uh, one, we were freezing to death, and the food that we did have actually uh, froze on us. Um, we had a lot of mechanical failures. Our batteries, for some reason, our brand-new, fully-charged batteries wouldn't hold a charge at all. Um, it was just one issue after another. It was just like a catastrophic. Uh, I still can't explain that about the batteries, but I can tell you that on a fully charged battery, our first day on the, this was the first blizzard, we couldn't set up our tent to sleep in the tent. We had ended up sleeping inside of a, a blazer that we went there with our, and slept inside there for the shelter. Um, I remember that wind just twisting the body and rocking that thing. Just, you know, but regardless, we had it, had it customized with tires that were equipped to handle the this, this snow and the blizzard conditions. In fact, I wanted to tell you something about that real fast. I went to NTW in Nashville, and I talked to them and said, listen, I need the best tire you make for blizzard conditions. And I was thinking super swamper, aggressive-looking, gnarly off-road tires. And he was like, no, you don't want that. You want, like, be of Goodrich all-terrain radials. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want some kind of sissy tire. I want a manly tire. <laughs> He's like, trust me, if you're going in snow, you don't want that. You want this. He said, I've been selling tires for 30 years. So I took his word on that. And I, I explained to him, uh, my life can depend on these tires. He said, trust me. So I did. And I tell you what, those tires are freaking awesome in a blizzard. They are very awesome in a blizzard. Um we ended up, the interstate was closed down, but we kept traveling. We were not about to stop on the interstate. Uh, we went all the way up into the area. We camped out up there in the, in the blizzard in our vehicle. We were driving through 18-plus inches of snow when we were pulling into Sherwood Lake. Yeah, after, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I think you're nuts going out there and after, camping in the blizzard. But go ahead. I didn't mean to get you off. Yeah. Right on a lake, too. So, I mean, we're getting the blunt of the wind. Now, before it started getting really, really deep snow... We had, we noticed something on something bipedal walked off the hillside before we were there. It's got this, you know, the little parking curbs, the little concrete yellow curbs that you park your wheel your car up to at a at a grocery store or something. They had those on this parking lot we were at, but they were completely covered in snow, of course. You can see where it scraped its hoof on that. Something with two legs walked off a steep mountain. It scraped its hoof on the parking curb, walked out into the snow, into the middle of the parking lot. Another one came from the lake, which was several, you know, 100 feet away from that, and it walked directly up to the tracks. Then they were walking side by side, get out in the field, going in the middle of the parking lot with these, you would think it was just something with four legs, like an elk or something. But we're our point where we got out and we videoed this, and the video is on Facebook on my site on, on the videos. You go to the bottom. Unfortunately, it's not very long, and it's only showing, I think the temperature was 19 degrees at, at that point. This was um, the tail end, or the, the no, this was the, the, the head end of the blizzard. Anyways, uh, we got there. We, we videoed, tack, uh, tracked these, these, whatever it was, and all of a sudden the prince just vanished, like it flew off. Whatever it was, was walking on hooves. They, two of them joined together. I showed it to game wardens, uh, park rangers, naturalists, um, professors at schools. I've showed so many people. Everybody guessed what it could possibly be, rabbits. Uh, then something flew out of the air and ate the rabbits. <laughs> uh, both of them at the same time. 
or the, first of all, this could not have been a rabbit. These were giant size steps. Um, That's interesting. And it was hooves, you said? They were definitely hooves. And whatever it was, because I got out and I looked at it really close, point down to my face was inches above it. Where it had stepped, it was so heavy, it compressed the snow into like a little ice wedge. So it was very heavy, whatever did that. A rabbit could not have done that. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Jersey – I'm sure you've heard of the Jersey Devil, but it kind of sounds like that. I mean, and I've talked to a few witnesses uh, that have experienced that or have seen tracks, and they they claim it's hoofs, and it's walking on two legs. And there's a witness – I'll have to take up my notes on it. Uh, He said the same thing. He said the tracks disappeared. He thought it flew off from where he was tracking it. You know who George Norrie is, coast to coast? Yeah. I seen on a site years ago. It used to be. I, I used to go to. A, he changed it because I went there the other day looking for it. And I could not find it. Uh, maybe somebody could write George Norrie and get these because I'd love to see a copy of it myself. The same exact hoof marks he had on his show listed underneath the name Devil's Footprints, and it showed. It told a story of this man that was working in this office out in the woods late at night. Uh, he looked down the hallway and the lights were off, and he heard something, and he looked back down, and the lights were on. He walked down there to see why the lights were on and who he heard in the office down the long hallway, and he smelled like a burning hair smell. When he looked into the carpet, the exact, exact hoof prints that I saw in the snow were burnt into the carpet. The exact size, the exact tracks were burnt into the carpet. They're just does anyone know what these tracks could be? Well, then it also showed the same tracks walking across a roof of two different houses in the snow. I personally witnessed these tracks the next day after we videoed this. Some of them were walking straight up the side of a tree where the snow blows on the tree. The tracks were walking straight up the side of a tree. It's just things that you like, there's no way. Now, do we have battery? No. Our brand new, freshly charged Sony batteries were completely dead. They lost their charge right after I videotaped those tracks. We had lots of batteries, hundreds of dollars worth of batteries with us. They were all dead. That's odd. What do you make of that? I don't have a clue. I do not have a clue. Uh, To me, it would have to be something that would radiate a large amount of radiation, I would say, that discharged the batteries. Um, I've asked a lot of people. Nobody... Knows it, it always comes back to Jersey Devil. It always comes back to Jersey Devil or the Mothman. Uh, I've studied. I've had people on my show doing research that have did research on both. I'm not sure the Mothman is not the Jersey Devil. First of all, you know, if, if we block in our mind that this isn't real, then it is exactly as your mind perceives. It isn't real. There's no sense in going further. But once you can intelligently think, is it possible that this, this is real? Listen to others that are telling you what we saw. Believe it when you see it, but just open your mind to listen. This could be real. I was, uh, to prove this fact, I was on a, a eagle um, expedition looking for bald eagles at Real Foot Lake, Tennessee. It was a certain time of year they congregate in this area. Uh, I, we didn't see really any at all. So I suggested to my ex-wife, why don't we pay to go on an a eagle tour? It's like $35 a person or something like that. So we did. And they taught us a lot. They taught us where to look. And after that, we had no problem finding the eagles. They were everywhere. 
because we were trained now where to look. When you go looking for something that you're not trained to find, it makes it difficult. And here's another point proven. I get asked on my radio show that I used to have, why isn't there a great video? Why are there no great pictures? And better than that, why haven't we captured one? Well, there is a lot of answers to that that I have several for you. There have been two captured. There have been two Bigfoots, known to man, documented in history, and captured. Even uh, one of them was on Discovery Channel, where they had a video that was in Russia. They captured a female Bigfoot. Uh, they even got it drunk several times, and they bred with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They actually dug up. You're talking about they dug up. They dug, yeah, they dug up the grave. They found the siblings, uh, the DNA matched that was not the same as human DNA. There was another one that was in the Washington Post. Um, I think it was actually in, in Boston. It was back in the, if I'm, I could be wrong by a few years, but it's in the late 1700s, the hideous creature of the Newfoundlands, where this uh, famous explorer took a blunderbust and shot it. <coughs> Excuse me. He blew out the calf of one of them. His, uh, he had like 40 natives that vined it. They wrapped it and they captured it. Uh, he said it took 40 men to do that. They put a cage around it, and its siblings came to it effortlessly, and they captured them as well. They put it on display in, this, in the whole town for, to see, and they're calling it the hideous creature of the Newfoundlands, the Newfound Land. This, of course, is before any of our time. Why haven't we today did this and captured this? Well, let's understand, most people don't go in the woods like what I do. They sit on there and watch TV or the Internet and think about the woods <laughs> and call those people that do this crazy and idiots. We are crazy. We may be idiots. It is very dangerous. That's why most people don't do that because it's kind of stupid to go out and do that. You have to have, uh, you have to be a special person to go out in the middle of the woods because there are things out in the woods that will make you vanish. Um, so hats off to all the researchers out there because you have a very scary job that just most people would rather watch us on TV. However, those of us that do do this, understand the risk that we're taking and it's to prove to you that watch us this is real so hats off to you that are trying to prove the research that this is real because this isn't a game and for all you hoaxers you ruin this for everybody stop stop being idiots yes i said idiots <laughs> no and in the one encounter you're talking about it, it was interesting if you read that encounter they had it in a cage and if i remember right it wouldn't eat I'm trying to remember that story. The the two young ones came to it, and that's when its eyes lit up. But they described it as being just sitting there in the cage. And, and that was an interesting encounter. And they do describe – if you listen to the description, they are describing a Sasquatch. Uh, and it is – in it was in the newspapers. There was a lot of people who saw it. And I don't remember whatever became of that creature. Do you? I No, I never could find anything that became of that creature. More likely, they were taking it from city to city on display – it possibly got loose. Um, who knows what happens? But back then, you're talking quite a bit more primitive land, longer journeys through the woods to get to cities. Um, if somebody captured a human and that was going on, what would we do to free that person? Well, what would they do to free their own? Yeah. I wanted to go back to your second encounter. When it turned and looked at you and you were looking into its face, can you describe for the audience? A lot of people haven't seen one. Can you describe what you saw? Yes, I seen something that looked at me that wanted to know more about me as I wanted to know more about it. It was a look 
of, I'll never forget that look. I will never in my life ever forget that look. Its eyes were very black and just looked at me with just like a, just a very curious look. <laughs> I mean, it, it looked at, it was just a very plain stare at me look. It didn't blink at all. You know, I found out later through Jane Goodall, who gave me some very, very great advice for all researchers. Never look at the face of a Bigfoot directly eye to eye. Never look at the face of a primate eye to eye. Never look at the face of many creatures, even bear, eye to eye. Look peripherally through your eyes. And if you watch Jane Goodall in any of her videos, she's out researching the, the grill or the chimpanzees. She never sits there and looks directly at them. She sits and, and watches and takes notes, watching them peripherally, and is so calm. They'll run to you, and they'll, try, they'll challenge you. And that's what we know. The chimpanzees or the, the, the gorillas will do that. Often they don't attack, but if you look at them, you most likely will be attacked, probably killed. I went to a, after I was told this by Jane Goodall herself, I went to a zoo, and I, this was the Nashville Zoo, and there was a baboon in a cage, just grooming his arm the same way the Bigfoot appeared to be grooming his arm on my first encounter. And I'm looking at it, and it looked at me, just almost just like the same way the first encounter I had with a Bigfoot. Now, this is a baboon in a cage at the Nashville Zoo. So I thought I'll do this experiment. I love experiments. I wiggled my eyes, directly looking straight at it. That baboon went, is it proper to say it went apeshit? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. did. I mean, it completely went 180. It just completely turned around and went crazy. It was slashing these massive incisors at me and reaching, grabbing, thrashing, trying to grab me. It went from just being docile to hostile in just the, the blink of an eye. It's good advice that Jane you know, Goodall gave you because you're right. If you do make eye contact, a lot of times with primates, they will snap on you. The the one that you saw, would you describe it more as monkey-like in the face or would you describe it more human-like in the face? Um, did it have the nose of a primate or more of a nose of a human? The first encounter, um, it looked very human in the face. Its skin was the same color as my skin. Uh, its hair was about the color of my hair, just that it had a lot more hair than I have. <laughs> I mean, its body was covered in hair. Um, the second one, as much as I've gotten to see of it, was from about its belly area to its both shoulders, where it leaned completely around the tree looking at me. So I didn't get to see it anything more than its face primarily. And that was a brief sighting looking at it. And its face was completely different than the first sighting of the one that I had seen. Its face had a lot more hair on it. It was um, a darker color, much darker color. Uh, the third ones that I had seen that were the ripping the bark off the tree, which were in a family of three, if you call it a family of three, too dark to see a face. It was very, they were very dark. It, like I said, if you look at the Manitoba Bigfoot crossing the road, and, and, and remind me here momentarily to finish telling you a story about how you could, why we don't have good footage of this. I'll get to that momentarily if you remind me of that. Uh, but sure. with these, with the, I've had other sightings. I had a friend of mine who's an RN from Beckley. She used to laugh at me. You know, here comes Mr. Bigfoot. <laughs> so I told her after years of hearing, and she's a good friend of mine, after years of hearing her, you know, joking around, here comes Bigfoot, kind of gave me a nickname, Bigfoot. So it's like, I'll tell you what, let me take you on my four-wheeler. 
up here on a logging road behind my house, and I'll show you the areas where there's you know, several tracks where they've came down to my house many times. I raise chickens, and they love to eat my chickens. Uh, so we did. And lo and behold, we were not expecting to see this encounter, which was my 10th encounter. It ran across the road right in front of us, less than 20, 25 feet in front of us, and it was an orangutan orange. Um, it was like a burnt orange-looking color. Its skin was almost black, and it ran right across the road, and two steps was across the road. I'm on a Honda Foreman 500 with a lift kit on it. Two people. It's not a quiet machine. I'm not expecting something to run across in front of me, and I'm not going too slow. I'm probably doing every bit of 30 miles an hour on a sandyish kind of bed logging road. Rocks and sand. Uh, this thing ran across the road. Now, the hillside was very, very steep. You or I could not walk up and down this hill. You'd have to repel it. And two steps, it crossed the logging road. And two steps, it crossed a wide part of the logging road. It grabbed a tree that about the size of my calf and my muscle. I'm an average-sized man. I'm five foot nine, so I have average calves. It, it grabbed a tree about the size of its calf, swung around, and went over a very steep hillside. I immediately came to a stop and got off the, the uh, Honda to go back and see what it was, you know, closer picture something. And my friend started yelling at me, are you crazy? Get on here now. Let's go. She was so scared she actually peed on herself. I mean, she was, and this is a well-educated person. I mean, she was so scared she peed on herself. And uh, I, I realized that it was wrong for me to have gone back to try to look over this hill because it could have just been right over the hillside waiting on me. And we left. I had a Canon T5I around my neck. There was no way in the world I could let go of the four-wheeler and take a picture of this. And it was on. The camera was on. So I could take pictures if I needed it. And there's no way I could have got a picture that fast. No way. Not in, And without possibly wrecking the four-wheeler, I mean, we're doing 25, 30 miles an hour. Let me ask you, do you think that these creatures can be violent? And does it worry you that they're so close to your property out there in West Virginia? I mean, they're coming in, taking your yes. chickens, and... Yes, they can be very violent. They can be very violent, and I believe some are more violent than the others. I've had encounters of several different type of Bigfoot. They're not the same. There are different species of Bigfoot out there. Like, for example, I'm, I mentioned the Gigantopithecus blackie. Then you have Gigantopithecus. Those are two different uh, entities right there. There's been uh, several researchers. One of them was a college professor who was actually believes through the DNA test of a Bigfoot that they were actually not a an ape. They're a missing man like the Neanderthal. They didn't vanish from Earth. They just uh, evaded captivity. They evaded the war. If you look into it like this and look at it with a different point of view, let's follow in, uh, Native American legends like the Apani. The Apanis in the Four Corner areas, they, they were cannibalistic. They had war with the hairy man, the Bigfoot. Uh, and one of their legends, they came into one of their villages and killed almost everybody. The Bigfoot ate the man, the man ate the Bigfoot. It was a war between the hairy man and then and the, the, the Apani. And this one raid, a few village men escaped. They went to the nearby tribes. They put together this giant, say, uh, rally of very of uh, warriors coming to kill these hairy men. They sage-burnt brush in front of their, their dens, their, their cave, smoked them out, and then rained arrows all up on them and killed a lot of them. They're, that's just one community. That's like one village, one tribe, one community, a Bigfoot. 
there are Bigfoots in every state, and there are many Bigfoots. There's not a few of them. There are several of them. I've had 10 encounters in my lifetime. Now, I've worked with many, many professional researchers all over America. Um, some of them have never had a sighting in many, many years of research, but they've had enough encounters to know the story's true. Why would I be blessed, if you call it that, to have many encounters? I really don't know the answer to that. However, I do spend a lot of time, and I've been in the woods with many TV crew who have some of the top TV shows, which I'm not going to name names. I'm very disappointed that they do not actually spend time in the woods researching. It's more for publicity. It's more for the ratings than it is for the actual professional research. You cannot go into the woods and expect to be in the woods 15 minutes, 30 minutes, a few hours, and find what you're looking for. You have to dedicate time to your your your, your research. I have one with uh, 30 or 40 men at a disclosed location in northern Georgia, and we several of us had encounters. They actually came into our campsite, <clears throat> and it's because of my theory that I've been putting together. Uh, if my theory is correct and why I have a better uh, success rate than some fellow researchers, it's because I'm a musician. I play guitar and I sing. And when I look for Bigfoot, I often bring my guitar and I sing. This seems to attract them. So let's think about this a little logically. If you're out in the woods cleaning your rifle and you're talking about how you like to blow the head off a of Bigfoot and you're arguing and being boisterous and loud, being a threat, you're probably not going to have a Bigfoot encounter. But if you're out there and you have your wives and your kids, because a lot of encounters have been with the kids and women, softer voice, friendlier voice. So if you put that more into your into your display, what they're saying, you're less of a threat. You're more of a curiousness. What is that? They're playing music and laughing and singing. That seems to attract the beast, and men are beasts too, as opposed to the drama and the bitching and the fussing and the cussing. That seems to be the nature of the beast who wants to participate in that. We don't want to live Jerry Springer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I understand what you're saying. You know, most encounters, uh, and I have a lot of people on the show who've had encounters, and most encounters are chance encounters. It's not the quote-unquote researcher or investigator going out there, or uh, it's always the hunter, you know, the hunter being quiet, or the hiker, or it. it People who are out just doing their thing seem to run into these things more than people actually exactly. out looking for them. So I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I I tend to agree with you. I think that if you go out in the woods, you know, like you see on TV where they blow up fireworks and they, you're going to scare everything within 20 miles from there is going to run from you. But I tend to agree with you. I mean, or camping, they'll come in and check you out if you're out there camping. I tend to agree with you on it. Have you had any major vocals or have you heard the chatter that people talk about. I've had it all. I've actually had them talk about me when I was in a tent. Me and um, my children and my ex-wife were in a tent. My parents were in the camper on the same camping ground, and we're at the edge of the forest. We were the last campsite in a camping area. This was at Sherwood Lake then again where I saw the three. It was late camping season where most people would not camp in a tent because it's too chilly. I mean, it gets pretty cold at nighttime. Um, but we didn't mind that. We had or we had proper gear for that. Yeah, you're used and to I camping in blizzards. Yes. <laughs> I, I, this was uh, 
in the upper 30s, lower 50s in that range. It might make it up to 70 on a warm day. So to me, that's perfect temperature for camping. Yeah. There are two of them, which sounded to me like it was a an adult and a juvenile, less than 75 feet outside of my tent early in the morning, just as the sun's coming up. And they were talking about us. And, the, and you could hear their conversation. I've tried to do this on several radio shows before in different locations to tell people what it sounded like. If you would talk instead of breathing out, if you would talk and breathing in, that's what the voice sounded like. And one of them was a much deeper voice. Um, I don't know what the man's name is, the narrator on The Lion King. <laughs> he, has that, uh, Thor, uh, he has a very beautiful voice, the, the black man. Um, yeah, he does Darth Vader. Um I know who you're talking about. I don't know who he is, but he talks to the very... Well, you can hear the deepness of his voice. And the other voice was like the innocent of a younger, smaller vocal range, a smaller lung size, um, like a juvenile, replying, breathing in the same way, talking. I'm not saying they're talking, breathing in, but the, the vocals seemed as if if you would talk, try to talk, breathing in. Sure enough, I'd try that. It would make me choke. Like, <clears throat> I'm like, it, it, it would take practice to get that out. But it, it was just, uh, you could hear it, and they're communicating with each other. That was one of the communications I had. And another thing that I get asked a lot about the smell, the odors, those two did not have an odor whatsoever. And uh, like the one in North Georgia that came right into our campsite, it didn't have an odor. It, well, it actually smelled more like a horse stable. There were no horse stables anywhere near the area we were at. But yet... I love the way a horse stable smells. I, I raised horses most of my life as a child growing up. So I, you know what a stable smells like. It smelled like a a strong straw, a hay smell. It didn't have a musty stink to it. I've had some that smelled just like what a, what you'd imagine a skunk to smell like. I've had several encounters in my lifetime, and they all do not smell. I'm curious. What, what, what gave you the impression they were talking about you? Because I was in the tent in front of them. The only thing between me and them was the lake, and I was probably less than 125 feet from the lake. Um, there was a trail that they were standing on. They were out there talking. I, I was real quietly trying to unzip my tent, my zipper of my tent. Um, I was actually getting really scared because they were right there. I did have protection in the tent with me, but even then, you know, I wasn't going to sick my ex-wife on them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I had I had I had my panic button on my Jeep. I hit the panic button on the Jeep and my father came out of the camper, opened the door, and when he did that they ran off. That gave me the grounds because my dad's looking out the camper door towards my tent. So I flew out of that tent. I already had, you know, my shoes, I threw my feet in my boots, and I'm running in the direction where I heard the the running go off at. I could not keep up with it, could not see it, but you could hear it going and it was gone. I'm curious on what you think these things are. I know you've run into them. And, you know, sometimes people have more encounters than other people. Uh, I've talked to a lot of uh, woodsmen who've run across them several times and have had several encounters that are out there all the time in the woods. But your impression after having these experiences, uh, and again, there's no obviously no right or wrong answer. I don't have one in my garage I'm studying, so I can't tell you you're right or wrong. But what is your impression? What, what do you think that these things are? Well, you know, that's a very deep question because there are different species. You have one that came after my, my son, 
came right after my son, and this was I had a, I had a perfect view of it. It was what was what was later told to me by a man named Marco Bill, the Marco Bill Show. He faxed me some photos and sketching of what a dog-faced Bigfoot looked like. And I've only heard a few people talk about the ones that murdered the people down at Real Foot Lake, or not Real Foot Lake, uh, Land Between the Lakes, Kentucky, Tennessee. There's supposedly murdered a family down there by it, but I couldn't find enough research to prove that. However, I do know sending in DNA throughout the years, we've learned to use certain places, because if you send it to government locations, you will not get your results back. And if you do get your results back, uh, there'll be an excuse tagged with it. Uh, I'm not trying to criticize Big Brother, but they just don't want to tell us all the all the facts. And as my wife, ex-wife was a naturalist through the Forest Service, we were told by the head game warden there that we're not allowed to talk about a lot of things, our encounters. And you have to understand the billions of dollars a year that are made through the forestry services, your licenses for fishing or hunting, your sales of all the gear, the tackle, the the permits, the camping, the firewood, the whole nine yards, the whole bit of it. They don't want to scare people from the forest service. Yet, if you shoot a Bigfoot in certain states, it's against law, and they could imprison you for shooting a Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I don't know that that would ever hold up in any state if you actually put a bullet in one and, and dragged it in. I think they'd come in and, and take it from you anyway. But I don't know that they would actually imprison you because it technically it, doesn't it exist. It'd be a big cover-up. It'd be a giant cover-up. Absolutely. Just like you know the the alien stuff. And I'm not even you know, after listening to the years and of all the guests I've had on my shows, some of the professional researchers that have researched around the world looking for Bigfoot, and the stories that I've heard these people tell me. You know, some of them we're like laughing behind our breath at first. I know that sounds bad. But I have a right to my own opinion. And when somebody's telling you they've seen a levitating Bigfoot, I'm sitting here thinking, are you sure it wasn't Chewbacca? <laughs> and then I've had people, the same researcher, tell me that it, it made this noise right at them, and it stunned them with this noise. I mean, they were able to vocalize so loud that the residents of their volume stunned them. They couldn't move. And hearing all this, and you, and you think, are these people legitimate or are they crazy? You know, until you're there and until you witness this with your own eyes, it's so easy to call them crazy. It's so easy to call somebody insane until you're there and you witness this. Then who's going to believe you? Yeah, you're right. That's the way that's the way it really is. So I have to listen. I'm compelled to listen to these stories and to answer earlier question why we do not have very much video, really good video. Okay, well, there's a lot of in-depth reasons, and I ask every one of you to do this experiment. I'm going to show you how to do it. It's very simple. Take your camera, your best camera, go out in your yard at nighttime, shine a flashlight, take a black dog any size, like a Rottweiler-sized dog, and have it run past your camera several times. Then you tell me, can you clearly see that's a dog? Even if it walked by your camera, can you clearly see it's a dog? And you know the answer. You think you know the answer until you watch it. You'll never know what that was had you not known it was your dog. That's right up on you. Okay, well, take that dog 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet away from you and do the same thing. You'll clearly see a silhouette of something go by. But if it's a black dog, you're not going to know what it was that went by. There's no way. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting. I talked to a a primate uh, researcher one time. 
and he had sent me a bunch of pictures, and I thought he was sending me Bigfoot pictures uh, because it was just a bunch of blob squatches he was sending me. And what was interesting about it is he told me, he goes, that's a chimpanzee. That's a great ape. And I was like, what? And I'm looking at these blob squatches, and he said they're very tough to get on camera. Obviously, we have them on camera now. You can go look at clear uh, photos of them. But he said when you're out in the wild and you're going after these non-human primates, he said nine times out of ten, you'll come back with what the Bigfoot world calls, calls a blob squatch. Uh, because of the way they move, they're so fast. They'll come in on you, and then they they leave so quickly. So I tend to agree with you. I mean, it, it is it's it's tougher to get a picture of these things than most people realize. And like the encounter when you're on your four wheeler, you got a camera around your neck. Uh, but sometimes things happen so quick, and you're not prepared for it. And especially for most encounters, people have it's a one time type encounter, or it's a, it's maybe twice. And they're chance encounters, and people really aren't prepared for it. And you, you'll ask a lot of witnesses, I, I've even had on the show, why didn't you get a picture of it? And they'll tell you, I had a camera in my hand. I was so awestruck of, of what I was seeing, it didn't even cross my mind. I've had hunters who've had loaded guns uh, that were 50 feet away, could have easily blasted one of these things. And you ask them why, and they're like, I didn't realize I had a gun in my hand. I completely forgot I had a gun in my hand. I was so awestruck at at seeing this. It it just blew me away. So you're right. I mean, the the argument of of pictures is kind of a weak argument. There was a thing, and I've talked about this on the past. I went up with the Olympic project, and we had a guy in a suit, and everyone knew he was in the suit. We put an orange vest on him so no one would blast him while he was out there. As we they sent people down this trail with cameras in hand saying you're going to encounter him at least three or four times and get a good picture of him. You know how many times people got a picture of him? There was one lady who got a decent picture of one, and she was actually taking a picture of, I think it was a cave, if I remember right, and she didn't even see that he was standing there. And that was the best picture anyone got. People were trying to get pictures of him on the hill. And, you know, so you put a group of people together, tell them to get a good picture of this, and no one could get a clear picture of him. And they're all prepared for it. They all know they're going to run into him. Uh, and no one could get a good picture of, of, him, of him. It was the craziest thing I ever saw. I raised a wolf before, and I tried to turn it loose into the woods. And when I did this, now I had the father of the wolf, the alpha male, with me, which was a pet of mine. Uh, but we were taking pictures because he was running circles around us, probably about 100 yards in diameter of around our campsite. But you could never see him, but you could hear him. You could hear him go through the woods time to time. And I took pictures randomly around the woods. And combing the pictures under high definition and zooming in, there he was. Many times you would hear the area that he's at, and you take the pictures in the areas that he's at. Now, you got to mind that this was in the fall time year. There are no leaves in the trees. Very barren woods. A gray wolf with a triangle under his eyes. Um, that's a noticeable... In the, you see him, the triangle under his eyes. Well, out of taking many dozens of pictures, one of them, you could not even see him with your naked eye looking right at him, and he was right there. You had to zoom in on the picture to see him standing there staring right at us. And he was no more than 140, 150 feet away from me, standing in the woods looking right at me. And I've had this encounter before with Coyote. You'll be going down the trails looking for tracks, with your dogs, and you walk right you know, 10 feet, 20 feet away from a coyote, 
just standing there, not even moving, just standing there at the edge of the woods. Yeah, I believe it. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap things up is the encounter you talked about with the dogman. Can you walk the audience into what was going on and what you saw? Yeah, when I was going to a college, uh, one of my colleges was away from my house, and I didn't want to drive back and forth all the time, so my ex-wife and I had this idea of buying a really large RV and setting it up at the end of a trailer park in Smithers, West Virginia, just outside of the school where I went to in Montgomery. My oldest son, of the, of the two, we had two little kids. One was an infant, and the other one was uh, three and a half years old. He was standing at the edge of the fence. It was very late at night. Uh, it was a weekend. And he was like, Dad, Dad, Dad. Now, between my son and the railroad tracks was the street light. And it went into the depths of the woods. Nobody lived in this area. So a long time ago, there used to be houses down there, but they were all you know rotted to the ground, nothing left. All grown over with kudzu vines and a lot of thick woods, vegetated growth. He started calling, my, calling me real fast, Dad, Dad, Dad. I just happened to be standing by my Colt 45, which ironically my son's name was Colt, named after my guns. Um, I grabbed my Colt and I ran towards him really fast. And coming towards my son was this creature on two legs. It looked like it didn't look like a Bigfoot at all. It looked more like what you'd see on Hollywood. It looked more like a, a damn Hollywood. Uh, what do you call those things? A werewolf. Um, that's harder to believe than seeing a Bigfoot, believe it or not. Try to explain to somebody, you saw a werewolf. <laughs> you saw what? <laughs> yeah, that don't go over very well. <laughs> well, I was talking to a guy by the name of Marco Bill about this encounter, because I took off after it. I had my gun in hand, and I ran full speed at it. I wasn't scared of it at all. Something's coming after my son, and I had a gun in my hand. Yeah, I don't blame you. Nevertheless, it ran into the woods and was gone. I, I ran after it, and I'm only going by the street light worth of light, not much light. And when you step into the edge of the woods, then that toughness kind of vanishes. It kind of makes you feel like a little innocent <laughs> yeah. child looking into the depths of what is out there. I went back. I didn't have a flashlight or anything in my hand. I came back a little bit later with a flashlight. I took a picture of some tracks that looked like a dog track that as it spun around and ran into the woods, the toes were just that of as a human toe. They're in a line like the foot deformed into a line or something where all the toes were about the same. It ran into the woods. It was gone. Well, I went the next day to the woods, found out it wasn't woods. It was kudzu vines covered with uh, river cane, real thick weeds that grew up to like 10, 12 foot tall. And when you walk inside of there, it's like a forest of, of these river cane. You walk in there, then there's like highways, trails going everywhere. I mean, mile-long trails going everywhere in different directions, very worn trails. You could be standing in there, and anyone could walk on that road right past you, just three or four feet away from you, and they would never see you in there at all, ever. It's impossible. You couldn't see the sun on a bright-lit sky day at noon looking above you because all the kudzu leaves were covering everything. That was more of a – it looked more like what you would imagine a Hollywood – werewolf to look like. Well, Marco Bill sent me pictures of this. Sent me very accurate. was holding like maybe a white dog or a, a sheep or a goat or something at the bottom of a waterfall. It was, it was circulated all over the internet you know, a few years ago of a dog-faced Bigfoot holding something in its arms. Um, that was very similar to what we saw. Now, later I found out that my neighbors down the road from me, they've all had an encounter every year 
of the same creature. And they said, yeah, a lot of our neighbors up here have named it even. It's that frequent. So I went up to do some research. Um, a lot of people don't like for you snooping around their property or whatever, but they told me in the wintertime when the kudzu vines die off, there's a cave up on the hillside up there that you can't really just easily get to because it's a rock wall cliff. And when you get up there, there's a cave in there, and they believe it's actually living inside that cave. I have never went to that cave, and the people that own the property around it, they don't want you snooping around there either. This one area, a lot of people supposedly have encounters by it, and they will talk to you about it too. Yeah, I get a lot of reports from West Virginia, Kentucky, a lot of those southern states of this dogman that people run into. And it's exactly how you describe it. That's exactly what they say. Imagine a werewolf. They chatter like they chatter like a coyote. Everybody that has the encounter with it, but then when they talk, like there's two of them that were communicating with each other and they said we thought it was a whole pack of coyotes coming around this ledge and it was actually just two of them communicating just very loud making all this jiving like what a coyote would sound like. And I went up and I asked questions to these people that had witnessed this up there. This one lady, she said, I even asked her, were you on any medication? I didn't want to offend her, but I wanted to know, are you on medication? Because a lot of people in the rural areas, they tend to take more than they should, if you know what I mean. Well, I asked her, and she's like, no, I do take medications, but I was not on any medication at the time. Uh, She said, I watched it walk off the hillside where her security camera was at. She said it walked right between her two cars on two legs. And I said, now, could it have been a man in an elaborate suit? She said, no, its ankles were that size of a dog's ankles, what it would be. There's no way you could have had a suit that would have ankles like that. And she said it even went out and touched her car and left paw prints on the car as it smeared. And she said the reason why it came down there, she assumes that she often takes her meals and throws it over the creek bank to feed the raccoons. And it was coming down to eat the food. Yeah, that makes sense. Inadvertently feeding it, huh? Yes. That can get dangerous real quick. Well, a lot of her neighbors were doing the same thing. They were feeding it. That's why it kept coming around. Well, Chris, I appreciate you coming on the show and and sharing your encounters. I really enjoyed hearing you talk about the different encounters that you have and your perspective on it. And the Dogman, too. I mean, there's a lot of people that run into that thing, and it tends to be more vicious. A lot of witnesses I run into... For whatever reason, the dog man seems to be more vicious than more aggressive. I'm, gl- I'm glad at the situation you didn't have with your son, it departed ways with you. And you going after it for people listening, I probably would have done the same thing. Come after my kid, and I don't care if you're 15 feet tall. I'm going to come cut your head off. Uh, I don't care how big yeah. and bad you are. Uh, and so I appreciate you sharing it and sharing it with the audience. You know, it helps a lot of people. This show... I always welcome people to come on and, and share their encounters, and, and I know it helps a lot of people to hear other people talk about it. So thank you again for, for taking the time to come on. I know you're a busy man. Thank you again for coming on. You're welcome. If you get a chance, go to some of my sites and check out my music. I've had eight world hit songs, uh, chrisallen.com, K-R-I-S-A-L-L-E-N.com. If you have questions, feel free to email me, although I do get a lot of emails. It's sometimes hard to keep up with. But you can email me at chris at chrisallen.com. Thanks again, Chris. You're welcome. Next up on the show, I want to welcome uh, David. David, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, Wes, for inviting me. And David is part of the Independent Sasquatch Research Team. Uh, You can check out the website at uh, isrtusa.com independent Sasquatch research team. And I know, David, you do most of your research down there in Florida, don't you? 
Yeah, most of our research is uh, here in the Florida State. And you were kind enough. I had a guest on a while back, and for the listeners listening, uh, it was the episode I just want had a look of I Just Want to Kill You. And most people know right. the uh, the fisherman that was on there. He was in a in a I believe it was a kayak he was in, and this thing had charged him from the shoreline. And you were going to go out there and and research the area. W- what happened when you went out there? Well, um, after I I spoke to Steve uh, through text messages over the phone. Um, I, I, well, let me back up. I. I, I I got the information from you, of course, and uh, his information to contact him. I called him on the phone, and he was like, um, still on, somewhat in a state of shock of what he saw. You can tell he was uh, uh, still mulling over everything he, he what happened to him, but he was kind of anxious to uh, kind of get to the bottom of it, you know, kind of find out if he was crazy or not. So <laughs> um, he, he gave us uh, some uh, coordinates where he said. Uh, where it happened at me and uh, one of our the guys on our team, Willie, uh, me and him, I uh, tried to schedule, well, we did schedule a time to go out there on a weekend. Unfortunately, it was the same weekend we had Hurricane Matthew hit uh, the East Coast, and it nailed that area pretty well that, where his sighting was. And, um, of course, we didn't go out there um, just for, you know, safety precautions <laughs> and so we had to uh reschedule to another date uh, november 4th weekend we went out there and uh we got out there and um the area looks really nice we we got a place uh we got a permit to go on the on the um on one of the islands out there which is you know a beautiful island um so we get out there and uh, we set up camp on the island um, we got kind of a late start getting out there, but it was by that time when we got in out there towards the location um, that we thought it was, uh, it was getting kind of late. Plus, it was pretty low in that area for um, for uh, my buddy's boat. Um, he had a pontoon boat, 20-foot pontoon boat, and uh, we were in like a foot, foot and eight inches of water, and we were just scraping bottom with his motor and uh we we tried a couple of places out there or we found one place that we thought it was and we were kind of off and so we had to back kind of backtrack and go several hundred yards up to the location and by that time we found it uh we were getting really low in the water so we kind of made a mark on our gps's to where uh, we figured this was the pretty close to the location where it happened at and uh, we ended up having going going back back to the uh, campsite, basically come trying to come up with another plan to uh, get out in that location the next day. And for the audience listening, you know the the witness, you know I made sure it was okay with the witness for you to contact him. I don't just hand out witnesses information to uh, researchers. But David, you've been doing this for a long time, and you're down in Florida, so I really wanted you to check the area out. And I was surprised even after the hurricane. It's exactly how the witness describes it. The location is exactly how he describes it. It's at least how I pictured it in my head as he was telling this encounter. But it's kind of a shame that, you know, Hurricane Matthew came through and and demolished the area. Were you able to find any signs or did you find anything of interest while you were out there? Yeah, we found, um, well, for one thing, the, the whole area is, is, is interesting because it's it, it's really thick. 
it's a very good area for these things to uh, to live in, to move around in, um, to be unseen. Um, we did find some a small sapling tree, probably about uh, three three inches in, three or four inches in diameter. It was kind of weaved in between two large trees, um, and then we found some uh, palm tree that was down, but it was about three foot off the ground, and you can tell that something was you know crossing over, it was scraping the top. And we, we knew it wasn't a hog. Uh, it was pretty high still for a deer to cross over. I don't think a deer would, how, how small the deer are down here, they, they probably wouldn't, they'd probably go under the, that, that log that we found. Um, that was pretty interesting. But the whole area itself is, is uh, really thick. It's it a really good area. It's several thousands of acres out there with nothing but uh, woods and brush and the the palmettos out there were over my head and i'm six feet tall and uh it's very very dense and we had to be careful because of uh you know running up on hogs and uh snakes and whatever else might have been out there yeah well hopefully you know you guys can get back there after after it's kind of settled down i would imagine it's settled down now but you know what i mean most of wildlife probably left that area during the hurricane and I would imagine it takes some time for them to kind of come back. Yeah, I think they would. Um, I mean, because if it's an area that uh, humans don't uh, go into very often or a lot, they tend to hang out in those areas. And we did find, hopefully we found a location where we can come from uh, the inland side instead of using the boat, because um, we we're really touch and go on that. Um, as you can see in the video, uh, that, that we made on our uh, investigation of the area. But the the whole area is what he described is to a T and in a lot of parts there, it uh, looks like, you know, something out of a jungle. Yeah, that's what it looked like from the video. That's really what I got from it, from the video. And I, I forgot how beautiful Florida was. I really enjoyed watching the video. I posted it up on uh, SasquatchChronicles.com if people want to check it out. It's under Charging Sasquatch Field Investigation, or you can watch it on David's YouTube under uh, Tracking Sasquatches. That's what you look up for David's YouTube. You can definitely watch the video there. Uh, David, I wanted to ask you, you had sent me some sounds. I wanted to ask you about the Green Swamp Howl. Can you tell me what was going on here? Uh, it was uh, a few of us. That just the, that one was uh, recorded back in uh, 2013 um, in November, and it was uh, just us one night in, a, in an area we go uh, pretty often, you know, closer uh, Central Florida area, well known for a lot of Sasquatch sightings. It was about uh, I think it was about five or four or five of us. That night, um, this got caught on uh, one of the team members' parabolic mics, and it's it's hard, kind of hard to hear, but you have to kind of like turn up your speakers and you know, and but you can definitely hear how what happened. Uh, it's it's much much different when you're standing there listening to the the vocals, on, and you're very well much aware of that. Um, we uh, I, I decided to do a a yell or a call. Um, cause it was getting kind of boring out there. We, we weren't getting anything. 
we were walking around and this was probably about 9:30 at night and it was pitch black and you can barely see in front of you <laughs> and i said well i'm going to do a call and see what happens so i just did this very loud yell and just to see what happens and from the northwest of where we were at and this is very a, a, another dense area where the sound came from we get this sound that sounded somewhat like something trying to imitate a coyote but it was long drawn out and at the very end of it you can tell it it, it was not a coyote but then it, it what after it did that it sounded off other coyotes in a totally different opposite direction and they just they kept going off but we never heard that same that other sound come from the other location yeah when i listened to it i i didn't i know you had put in there like it sounded like a coyote it didn't really sound like a coyote to me it was imitating a howl but there was something off about it i, I wouldn't say that was a coyote by any means no it did definitely sounded like uh something way off i mean it was deep and and, and it, it carried pretty far the interesting interesting thing though is that as we were we we were stopping on this little grass road and um, we were walking towards the north and the other guys I was with, they didn't catch this, but as we were walking, um, I've always been told by uh, hunters, you know, that owls will, will sound off when they, when they hear things or see, or not hear things, but see things in the woods because they can see really well. And then they'll sound off when they, when they see whatever they're seeing to let, I guess, others owls know, you know, something's in their area. Well, as we were walking north, we, we heard these owls going off ever so often. Um, they would start really back where we we started from. And then midways, you hear some more owls. And then as we kept going, we heard a couple other owls in that same general area uh, where that, uh, that yell came out of. And I, I was telling the guys, I said, I think that thing is paralleling us as we walk it's it's listening to us or hearing us somehow and these owls or owls are going off and uh giving away its location or something because it just sounded kind of strange that these uh owls were, were sounding off in the in the same general direction where this uh where this yell came from as if it was uh you know paralleling us as we were walking northward on this on this road yeah, it's interesting too when you get a recording like that for the audience. Uh, you, when you, it's hard to explain when you're out there and you hear something like that. It's a hundred times louder and more powerful than a recording. Or usually, recordings don't do the audio justice from when you're in there in the moment listening with your ears. It just never quite does it justice. I know you had sent me this other one labeled "Night Sounds." Yeah. 
gibberish. going on with this well that well that happened uh december 2nd we had a group of people in another area not far from where this other audio sound came from we were camping in this area and there's uh some people some other people in the camp area there as well because it's it's a you know kind of like a public or uh, area to camp in um you have to have a permit to camp in there um so i said well let's go uh let's get away from here because it's kind of noisy and Let's go down uh, close to the river, see what we can hear or see. We walked a ways uh, from the campsite, and this, where this sound was, uh, we were probably about three-quarters of a mile or maybe about a mile from the campsite. As we were walking, there, I tell you know, everyone's got headlamps and so forth, and the, the moon was out that night. It was out pretty good, and it, was, it, it started going down later in the evening. But as we were walking, I said, okay, let's go lights out, you know, um, let your eyes adjust and we'll, we'll walk down this little, this trail, um, which was a fire break, um, uh, in the wood, wood line. And I uh, will walk down this fire break all the way to where the, uh, up to the edge of the, the river. So as we're walking, man, we're hearing, <laughs> we're hearing some, we're about halfway to the river and we kept hearing some weird sounds. Um, I didn't notice it until I played it on the on the computer when I when I got the audio, just to see what I got that night because we we heard some stuff. And I was wondering if we if, if the audio picked it up well. the The first sound that you hear on that is you hear a you hear a knock first, and it's pretty pretty clear knock. So we're just kind of standing there in the dark, and um, there was probably about. Gosh, I mean, was what we were all walking us to. There's probably about six of us that night. I know it sounds like a lot, <laughs> and I usually don't take a you know a large group out in the woodline that, but we we just want to get away from the campsite and and see what we can see or hear. Um, so we stopped and we're listening, and I and we hear this knock, and I was like, we're we're going on about that. So we said, let's press on. Let's let's start walking towards closer towards the river. On the second clip, we I didn't hear this while we were standing there. I didn't hear it clear enough because uh, walking around, uh, this was on my parabolic mic microphone that we got these sounds from. Um, I heard this on the when I played it back here at home. I, I heard this this laugh sound, and I don't know if you caught that or not, but it it sounds really weird. Um, it almost sounds like an evil laugh or something like whoa, and it echoes through the woods a little bit. And then stops. And the third sound, we heard like a jabber or somebody, something like a gibberish, but it sounded like somebody was pissed off. And and these sounds weren't that far from where we were at. We were, it was almost like they were coming from the trail we came in on to get to the river. 
Now let me explain where this trail's at. Where, where this fire break is right next to this guy's property that he has. That he um he I don't know if he leases it or he, he lets friends come out there and they go hunting out there for deer. Well, he puts deer feeders on this property all through there. And incidentally, uh, back in I think it was 2006, on the edge of this guy's properties where we found some infant tracks, but we couldn't cast them because it was in that sugar sand. Um, so we took a lot of photographs of it, and but it was a trackway leading up to this guy's property. So we know we're at, then we know they're out there, and there's little ones out there as well. How big were those tracks? Those tracks were probably, a, I want to say, a good maybe uh, five to six inches long. You can definitely see, you know, there were, there were really small tracks. You can see uh, faintly some toe marks, and um, the little the the break in the middle of the foot. Have you ever looked into the little people? Um, I've heard about it. I haven't looked into it though, but uh, I'm aware of what they say about the you know little people running in the forest and so forth. Well, I've been wondering about those small tracks because sometimes when you find those tracks, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, a medicine woman down in the southwest, and what she told me was is when you find tracks that are five, six, seven inches long, uh, you're not actually finding what uh, traditional Sasquatch tracks. Um, and, and you can give me your opinion on this. What she was saying was, those are the little people. She said, a baby Sasquatch mm. doesn't walk around like that. They're always hanging on their mothers. And she told me, she said, Wes, if you ever go into the forest and you come across these tracks that are five, six, seven inches long, turn around and go back the way you came. Don't follow them. Uh, you want nothing to do with these things because they are vicious and they are, they have a certain name for them. They don't call them the little people, but for the audience and myself's sake, I'll call it the little people. But she actually had right. an, a name for them. Uh, and she said, they're very vicious and don't be fooled. Those aren't baby Sasquatch tracks. She said the Sasquatch, uh, they carry their young, a lot like apes, a lot like gorillas, humans. They carry their young more than their young run around. Uh, and when they're that size, if you find tracks like that, especially if you're not finding adult tracks, you're just coming across small tracks like that. Uh, those aren't Sasquatch tracks and you need to be very careful. I, I didn't know what your take on that was. Well, uh, it's definitely, uh, of interest because, um, uh, in the, in this, in this area, the same area we're talking about here, um, there was reported, uh, from some people that clean up the areas, um, they found some uh, tracks that were probably about a good 17 inches long by about six inches wide. And it went on for um, probably a good uh, 20, 30 feet and then went on, went into the wood line. Um, I don't know. Could, uh, could there be little people as well? Uh, I don't know. I haven't, it, it, it could possibly be, um, I'm, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't put anything, uh, away thinking that it couldn't be, you know, so a, there's a big table of uh, things that uh, are out in the woods that we don't know about. So, you know, it's one of those things you throw up on the table and you come back to and, you know, have a look at it again. Yeah. It's in our, did you find this, anything else in that area? Um, we found some, uh, and there's always, there's always tree breaks and, and, and stuff like that. We've we've actually gotten whistles and wood knocks in this area uh, multiple times. Um, the jabber uh, that we got on on this audio was was pretty 
pretty interesting. Um, and then um, I'm trying to see where I wrote down um, the fourth clip on on this audio we got was uh, what I think was another Sasquatch uh, imitating another coyote yell because it we when it when it sounded off again we just kind of looked at each other like that that wasn't a coyote that was something else <laughs> and uh, to me I'm thinking I'm, I'm wondering if it's the same one that we. Uh, recorded back in uh in 2006 or not 2006 i'm sorry 2013 with the same with the same yell because it, it kind of similar similarly sounded the same but much closer this time and wasn't there a fifth clip there was a fifth clip that was just uh um let me see the fifth one uh we heard two snaps two wood breaks um and that was that was pretty close so that was probably within uh, 75 yards of us. My uh, parabolic mic picks up, picked up pretty pretty close. I mean, it it goes out pretty far. So I'm ju- trying to judge the distance where these sounds are coming from. Of course, at night everything travels, you know, pretty pretty far. And I'm I'm just guessing that it's maybe about a 75 yards out where I heard we heard these uh, two wood snaps, and uh, that was about it for the rest of the night on that. So every um, every other time we go out there, another part of where we go, uh, not too far from this location, we've we've heard whistles, you know, a lot of tree uh, breaks. Uh, on my website, you can see some pictures we've taken in in the general area. Uh, there was a break uh, eight foot off the ground um, where nothing fell on this thing. Uh, so it's it's just another indication that these things are out there. Yeah, and I'm curious, why did you go to that area? Was there a sighting that was reported in that area? Well, this the uh, the area consists of over like 35,000 square miles of just woods. A lot of it's uh, dealt out for hunting, uh, water management areas. Um, we we went out there based on other reports that we've seen, you know, previously in previous years and the history of it. So. Um, after investigating the area, when I first moved moved close to the area, I moved down from uh, North Florida. My one of my biggest areas uh, from up there was the California National Forest. Um, so I, I was happy to when I moved down here to, to the Lakeland, Florida area, that there was an area close by, or actually multiple areas close by that uh, had a lot of acreage to uh, do research in. So. Yeah, uh, other reports that we've we've seen, uh, we've uh, that drew our attention to that that location and other other locations in and around that. Have you guys ever had anything strange happen while you're out there? That may not be Bigfoot related, but just anything odd or strange happen while you're out there? Um, not in that area, I don't think. Um, just one of one of the guys. He, I don't know if it was Sasquatch related or not, but he seems to think so. He had. Uh, him and his uh, stepson was with them with, with, together out checking out, putting out, I think they were putting out a recorder or they were doing something. They're were, they were out there checking out the area for any kind of Sasquatch activity. And I think he was putting out a recorder um, or a camera, one of the two. Um, and it was about dusk. It was getting, starting to get dark and he was, he was getting kind of antsy to get out of there. And as they were leaving, he, uh, he heard, 
something like run up on him as he, the way he describes it, it said it sounded like it, or it sounded like it was heavy like a bull is what he described it <laughs> and he said it sounded like this thing was running up on us like i don't know if you ever felt that way that you you felt the ground shake or you felt like something was coming up on you he turns around and he doesn't see anything his stepson was in front of him and he turns around too because he heard he heard the same thing and felt the same thing he felt the ground shake so they turn around and there's nothing there <laughs> and that that was pretty weird that was pretty weird for him um and that just spooked him even more. He said, let's get, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. I know I, I talked about it, I think, on the last show or the show prior to that. Uh, before anything, you know, Bigfoot came into my really my vocabulary. Uh, when Woody and I were out hunting, we had something like that happen. And I, I said in the show, like a horse, but I meant, uh, what are those big Budweiser horses? I always have them in the commercials. Uh, the uh, Clydesdale. Yeah, they sound like a Clydesdale. I mean, it sounded like a huge, huge horse. And it sounded like it ran in between us, and it was the oddest thing. Wow. I remember us just kind of looking at each other. You know, this is broad daylight, middle of the day, and both of us just kind of looked at each other in total confusement, uh, completely confused on what just happened. But that is strange. I got to give my hat off to you guys for going out there at night in Florida. I don't know I'd go out there during the day with all the snakes and gators and everything else that wants to kill you in Florida. Uh, I can't imagine when <laughs> yeah. you say, hey, let's turn the lights off and and uh, <laughs> let's go dark. You know, being from the Pacific Northwest, going to Florida, I'd be like, nope, it ain't happening. My light's staying on. <laughs> I don't want a cotton mouth to grab me. I don't want to, uh, you know, you worry about everything else. Uh, have you guys ever come across any lights or anything out there? Yeah, the same gentleman, his name is John. Um, he, uh, he was telling us about when he was down in uh, the Everglades, he, he was with some guys down there, and they were off uh, Turner River Road, which is a long dirt road that runs through the, uh, the Everglades National Forest, and um, which there's a lot of sightings down there as well. Um, but he, he, they were out there one night, and they're driving down that dirt road, and all of a sudden he says, "What what the heck is that?" You know, and I think there was a couple other guys in the car with him, and it was a he said it was like a, a red orb kind of floating in the air. And um, what he tried to do is he, he tried to uh, catch up with it. And he was, I don't know how fast he, he said he was going, but he was he said he had it down <laughs> to the floor trying to catch up with this thing. And um, he said it never could catch up with it. And then all of a sudden it just took off real fast and was gone. Did he say how big it was? Um, I want to say he, he says about the size of maybe a golf ball or the size of a tennis ball, maybe. Um, it was kind of hard to judge because he didn't know how close or how far it was away from him. Um, that's why he was trying to uh, speed up to see how, how close he can get to it. And they could never get close enough to, to, to judge how, exactly how big it was. But the thing moved off pretty fast, though. It just, it just took off and disappeared. What's your take that on that? Strange. Yeah, that is really strange. What's your take on that? Because I've had a lot of researchers, most of them won't say it publicly, uh, but privately, almost every researcher I've ever talked to that's been out at night, maybe with the exception of a few, uh, have seen that light, and they're really not sure what to make of it. Uh, they've come across it, and I've heard yeah. it described as orange, red, blue, uh, all yellow, all different colors, but the way people describe the way it moves and especially when you start chasing it, uh, it's, what's your take? What do you think that thing is? 
Uh, it could be, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say, you know, it could be something paranormal, of course, you know, um, I've never seen any, any orbs. Uh, I guess, I guess I'm not that special yet, but, <laughs> but, um, I, we, we used to have, um, a researcher, a very good, re- uh, dear friend of ours. Um, she passed away. She was half, uh, half Cherokee, I believe. Um, and she would always see orbs, um, in one of the locations we always go camping in. And she, she was told that they were, I don't know, I think they had to do with some kind of energy that was, uh, I'm not sure if it was paranormal or some kind of something else, but uh, she was told that uh, there was some sort of energy. They were there for some, some sort of purpose. (laughs) What purpose? I don't know, but um, I just don't, I don't know what to make of it either. I've, I've hear other people telling me stories about them. Um, and, uh, I know, I think you said you, you and your brother saw some orbs. Yeah. We and, filmed. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty weird. I mean, I don't know what, what to make of it myself. I, it, I would say it has to be some sort of energy of some sort because it's, uh, you know, it moves around and disappears and reappears and so forth. Yeah, it, they're odd. They're odd. And, I, and I've had Native Americans describe them as energy, balls of energy, uh, demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is when you talk to a lot of Natives about those lights, I know we're way off topic, but what's interesting is a lot of the Natives, natives will tell you to stay away from them. Don't follow them. If you see it, go turn around go back the way you came. Uh, it doesn't really right. – no one really has a happy, good – feel-good story about these little balls of light that people run into in in the forest. I wanted to ask you, what what is your feeling about Sasquatch? What do you think it is we're chasing? Um, it, it's kind of hard because over the years, you know, I've been doing this a little over 20 years now, and I've, I've seen a lot of things on, on both sides of the fence as far as these creatures, the how they act, uh, and also how, you know, the other side of the fence as far as the, the research uh, people in the research field. Um, I hear, I hear a lot of different things, different, uh, how, you know, things that they they say, how they look and how, how different they are from one location to another. Um, some look more ape-like, some look human-like. Um, what I would imagine that they were, they're one, one of the same, uh, species, but with maybe some different races mixed in, you know, um, are they human? Are they more animal or a little bit of both? Uh, it's hard to tell, but it's hard to say because they're, uh, even, even though some of them look different, everyone can agree that they are very intelligent <laughs> in what they do. Um, it could you can go either way. It could lean more towards uh, a human aspect or, or something of an animal aspect, just more intelligent than what's out what's out there that we know of already. Yeah, I can go, I can go either way on that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, until until you dig that one out of your garage that you've been studying for several years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, until we until we you know we get one that uh, maybe the government hasn't gotten a hold of yet. <laughs> There's some conspiracy things going on, but. Uh, until we find out that hard evidence, uh, we'll know more 
about them. Um, but until then, it's just, it's a guessing game. It, uh, you know, we can speculate all we want all day long on what they could be or what they are or what they do and why they're here. Um, but and in, in, but until we get uh, some more concrete evidence of that, uh, we're we're left to uh, just keep researching, trying to investigate these areas. And I and I know I say I'm, uh, we're researchers, but we're also investigators too. I mean, we investigate uh, you know, people's stories and their reports. We try to decipher if they're lying to us or they're, you know, telling the truth. Um, so we're, we're, we play both parties of research, researchers and investigators on our team. Yeah, I find with most witnesses, I mean, you might get the one out of a thousand, but, you know, you get the one out of 1,000 that, that might be lying about an encounter. But I think for the most part, most people are... Uh, whether it was misidentification, which is is pretty rare, uh, but most witnesses are pretty sincere when they when they come forward and say, "Hey, listen, I saw this or I saw that." And you know, does it worry you at all being out at night in some of these areas, especially after listening to Steve's encounter? I guarantee, I guarantee you come across that creature at night, and you're going to be in some serious trouble. Oh yeah. It's uh, especially if, you know, just like any other animal, if, if it's got some young around, um, any animal's going to try to protect their young or try to scare whatever's out of the area. Um, you, you definitely don't want to take shots at something like that because <laughs> uh, you'll just make it, you know, you'll just piss it off even more. But yeah, um, it, it, it is kind of frightening sometimes, you know, we get, we get our, our, in areas that there's there's this one area that I go uh, I went pretty pretty much by myself sometimes uh, in an area where there's uh, these other two guys are on our team are getting uh, some audio some strange things happening um, in this one area and I, and I decided to go out there and that's um, where I went to I had a my little GoPro I just got a GoPro that day or not that day but pretty close um, and I was out there testing it out. And unfortunately, I had it in one of those waterproof cases out there, and um, I was carrying it around. And the sound, the sound didn't pick up really good on those. And I was investigating this area, checking it out. And there's two little ponds. One's uh, one pond was was full of algae, green algae, and there's alligators in it. So I was just kind of sitting there on the edge of the the pond there, filming some alligators floating around. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there's a there's a pond right behind me. Uh, behind some brush, really thick brush, trees and palmetto bushes. And uh, that pond was a a clear spring-fed pond. While I was sitting there, um, I heard what all I can describe it as is a two-legged elephant running through the woods (laughs) and taking large strides to get the heck out of Dodge. Of course, I turn around, I'm like, the Charmin moment, you know, trying to like, oh crap, is it coming after me, coming through these woods? And if it is, you know, I was going to film this thing coming after me, but apparently it was going an opposite direction. It was trying to get away from me. But this thing sounded like it was just tearing through the woods, very heavy. And I want to say with about six to eight strides, it stopped. And I said, well, it's got got to be in the same area, or close to the area because it stopped making them, it stopped running. So I go closer to this uh, location. I get over to the pond where I heard this uh, these footfalls, 
I'm looking around and I don't see anything. <laughs> and that's strange in itself because the the uh, the weight of this thing was and the sound that it was making just taken off through the woods. It was very very heavy. I want to say at least 800 pounds or better. Just judging off just judging off the footfalls I was hearing. And that's interesting. So it was uh, two legs is what you're hearing. It wasn't four. Right. Right. Yeah. You can tell the difference. Uh, yeah. If it's a deer or a hog running through the woods, uh, four legs. This thing is definitely, you can hear the footfalls. Boom, 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 boom. And going through the brush, you know, hitting the, the saplings, going through the brush like that. And when I, get, when I got over there, I was like, okay, I'm expecting to see something and I don't see anything. I'm, I'm looking around. I even, I think I even got my binoculars out and I'm trying to look through the wood line with my binoculars, trying to pick out, see if this thing was ducked down behind something. And of course I'm by myself. Of course, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, if I go out there, <laughs> if I go any further out there, you know, maybe this thing's you know, going to tear me apart and uh, nobody will know what happened to me after a few days. But, um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And, um, we've, we've put in some recorders out there and got some other, strange things as well, some sounds, some whistles, some something walking up to the uh, audio recorder. Yeah, but very interesting. <laughs> Let me ask you, what what is it you're hoping to accomplish out there? What is it you're hoping, what would be the main goal for going out there and tracking these things? Well, our my main goal, or our main goal is try to get a good video of these, of these creatures. Um, I know that's, you know, sounds kind of far-fetched, but I, I'm not one to uh, to take pictures, snap pictures. I, I do everything by video. Um, pictures are fine for footprints or, you know, tree structures or tree breaks or any of that sort of thing. Um, but video, you know, if you're going to get something on video, you're going to see its local motion. You, you're just going to get a lot more from a video of these things. The other thing is we, we want to have first contact uh, with these creatures. We want to... And I, I know you, <laughs> you you'll probably disagree with this, but we we would like to maybe, you know, if they are able to befriend, which I've read in, in some different literature that I've read over the years, that some of these things will come right up to you, and uh, you know, some of them aren't crazy or want to rip your arm off and beat you with it. Uh, some are pretty, you know, pretty tame as far as they're more they're interested in. in what you are and so forth. But, uh, but then again, you have to, you have to be smart about it too. Um, we would, we would like to get, you know, first contact as far as, uh, maybe getting up close to one of these things and filming it. And I wouldn't say befriend it, but, uh, maybe gain its trust enough to, uh, to learn more about it. Um, that's, that's kind of like a mountain to climb there to get to ask for something like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something to shoot for. Um, I definitely don't want to shoot these things. Just, just to drag one in and say, yeah, here's the proof. You know, if you can communicate with these things some sort of way, or even, even use like, uh, hand motions for, as far as communication. Um, I'm sure these things are pretty intelligent to understand some hand communications. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I know it's kind of sounds kind of far fetched, but after you've done everything in this field 
to get audio, to get video. Um, you, you just want to do more. You want to get closer. You want to get, you want to, you want to get close to these things. You want to figure out more about them. And that's what, uh, that's, I think that's what keeps us all going. No, I hear you. And I understand where you're coming from. You know, we all have different opinions on it and it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, my opinion's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's, you know, I understand exactly what you're saying. I know getting audio sometimes or getting video sometimes, uh, I always hear a lot of uh, researchers, investigators talking about the, how they just love to get the holy grail of of video. And, you know, it didn't hit me until I talked to um, Bob Gimlin. And I, him and I were right. sitting around the fire one night. I think it was at Beachfoot. And um, Bob told me that it was the biggest regret of his life. He wished he would have never filmed that thing. He wished he would have never went down there. He wished he would have never, ever got involved in any of this. And I asked him why, you know, and, you know, God, it's the the Patterson-Gimlin film. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And he said, you know, Wes, I, I got attacked more over that film. That film ruined my life. Uh, and, he, you know, he was saying how he just regretted getting it because uh, it wasn't, um, you know, in their mind, they got this creature on film, bring it back and try and show it to the public and then, you know, everyone's saying, well, these guys are hoaxers. These guys are liars. Uh, that's a guy in a suit. That's this. That's that. And I don't think Bob was quite prepared for that type of reaction. It's not like he was looking to be the hero of the world, but uh, I don't think he was expecting that type of, of reaction off that film. And that's probably the one of the best films we have is those two guys that got that, you know, whether people believe it was uh, Sasquatch, Patty was a Sasquatch or not, but hands down, it's one of the best videos I think that we've gotten. But oh yeah, when he talked to Bob, there's more regret when he talks about it than anything positive. Uh, it was more of a, a negative impact on his life, and that's why you know I get, I know you get videos, I get videos sent to me, and I've kind of backed off on posting videos to the website uh, when I get it, get them because it just causes more heartache than it does. You know what I mean? You try and share with people. And it's the old argument you hear from the skeptics. Well, why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? And the moment you present something, everyone tears it apart. Even people who in the Bigfoot community who believe in Bigfoot tear it apart. Uh, and it's just like, hey, man, I'm just trying to share with you what I got. I'm not right. looking for. <laughs> so, you know, you know, and so, you know, getting one on film, I don't think is really. I hope you get one on film and I hope it proves it. Uh, I can get out of the Bigfoot well, world and move on to UFOs or something. <laughs> yeah <laughs> another mountain to climb yeah no, um, move on but you're but you're but you're right uh but but back in 67 back in uh bob and, and and roger's day um and of course the media isn't like it is now i mean they just rip you apart from limb to limb even worse now um but you know I, we we know that that's going to happen we know that uh, people are going to tear whatever Whatever you get, they're going to tear it apart. But that's why you, you do uh, you, you do good research. You uh, you document everything. Um, and also today, there's there's more uh, there's more people more interested in the subject. I think I think nowadays they're coming around to okay, especially with more people seeing sightings of Bigfoot or other strange things. And you know, people are now starting to say, okay, yeah, that they that guy that we knew wasn't as crazy as we thought he was, you know? Um, cause I've talked to people that didn't believe in any of it, any of this stuff until they saw one that day. 
you know, and then it just changed their life around because they used to make fun of people that believed in Bigfoot or Sasquatch until one day they saw it. And then it just, they totally did a 180 on the whole thing. People are going to tear, tear you down no matter what. And, you know, I'm, I'm prepared for that. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just something that goes with it, you know, and you just prepare for it. I mean, I know they're going to rip, rip you apart. If, if even if you got a, a better film footage than uh, uh, Roger Patterson and, and Bob got, but that's that's where the the good equipment comes in. I mean, they can say, well, you know, it was hoax. You did this and did that. You're going to get the same audience uh, naysayers uh, telling you the same thing. But um, when, when you, if you look at uh, a video, clear video, especially in what we have now is uh, 4K video, um, you can count you can count the hairs on this on these things' faces if you get that close. And even if you don't, you can still zoom in and, ca- and count the, the reality of it. I mean, we, we have so much better equipment nowadays to be able to re- present to a certain group that uh, can, can study it. Uh, we definitely don't go out and uh, if we do find any kind of evidence of that sort or even a body, uh, the media, for one, is, will be the last people we contact because of all the backlash and not only that, but some, some things you, we may get that we don't want from uh, certain individuals and authorities. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I, I still think one has to be shot and brought in. I think if someone got a great video of one, even on, uh, and I know Tom Seawood is probably listening. I know he'll disagree with me on this, but uh, you know, <laughs> even if you get one on great video, it's just going to go down as, Hey, nice video, good job. Uh, and then the other half of the audience will be, you know, calling you every name in the book and throwing mud your way uh, because they'll say you're a liar and you fo- you hoaxed it, or if it was a guy in a suit, or technology's gotten better. David's a master at CGI, uh, and so he CGI'd it. You know what I mean? And so that's why I always say one has to be shot and brought in. Now it's easier said than done, but uh, that's really what I think has to be done. And there's nothing wrong with your good your your Jane Goodall approach. Um, you know, I wish you the best. I, I hope that you guys, I mean, hey, I would love that. If someone came back and had evidence and said, hey, they're, they took me in and I was able to get up close to this thing and um, I'd be all for it. I, I just don't, my own opinion on that is uh, just be careful. Don't get too close. Just don't get too close yeah, to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I definitely don't think or put too much uh, – into it that that would happen um it would it be nice that it would happen that way yeah it'd be great but i think we're dealing with something uh, other than apes like jane goodall was dealing with um i mean these things will they make gorillas look uh like little teddy bears i mean that's how strong they are gaining their trust i think is is key and if 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 we are able to do that and get closer to them. I mean, I'm not going to go up there and give it a bear hug or something. <laughs> I'm not that, <laughs> Offered I'm a not cigarette. that crazy, but yeah, <laughs> but it would be, it would, it would be nice to get within, you know, 20 feet of something like this yeah, uh, without it being aggressive, aggressive to you. It's, it's one of those things you, you just, you hope for the best and be prepared for the worst. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Well, David is from the independent Sasquatch research team. Check out his website, isrtusa.com. 
Uh, and David, I really appreciate you helping me with witnesses, you know, that have had encounters out there in Florida uh, to go out and take a look or, or help the witness out in any way. Uh, I know you were more than willing to help me in a couple situations, so I, I do appreciate it very much. And you'll have to keep me up to date on, on what's going on out there in Florida. Is there anything you want to promote? Uh, just our website. Um, if anyone traveling through Florida or possibly lives in Florida, if you have any encounters or hear strange things, you know, or uh, in the location, any location here in Florida, just uh, jump on our trip on our website and shoot us an email. We got we got people in South Florida, North Florida. Yeah, people all over the place, actually, in uh, different states. Um, so just give us a give us a call. There's a phone number on our website you can call. Um, you can shoot an email to us as well. Um, and uh, you can also just check out uh, our YouTube videos, uh, Tracking Sasquatches. We go out in the field and we show you pretty much what we do. And uh, a lot of times they don't get nothing. And sometimes we get some pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, just uh, contact contact us if you're in the state of Florida or or anywhere. Actually, uh, we, I personally know a lot of people throughout the country that uh, if something happened in a certain state um, that we're not in, um, I can definitely get you hooked up with somebody in that in that state that can uh, definitely check it out for you. Well, David, thanks again for coming on. Well, thank you, Wes. I enjoyed it. Uh, very much appreciate you bringing me on the show and. Uh, Hopefully we'll uh, talk again about some other uh, interesting encounters. Thanks, David. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Until next time, everyone, have a great night.
Thank you. 